You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. You know what the Advent has been processing through this past year, right, in terms of visioning. And that's been uh, held up in front of us for prayer, for concern, um, and for, um, for praise. And these next few weeks are really significant in that visioning process of bringing that message home uh, to the Advent. Uh, Gil gave me uh, sort of a description of these next few weeks. Um, there's six areas that this visioning process has focused on. Worship, communication, shepherding, outreach, ministry development, and discipleship. And there's going to be uh, material to be read and prayed over that will be distributed in these next few weeks. Uh, There will be a booklet for prayers and devotions that will start on September 24th. And the concern is that we pray together through this process as we look at these six areas worship communication shepherding outreach ministry development and discipleship knowing some that are uh, on the staff I know how much has gone into this and uh, I think that it's I don't think there'll be anything shocking or uh, necessarily surprising in this But I do think it underscores the intentionality of what the Advent is about in being shaped by the gospel. Uh, So I'm I I would encourage you not to think that anything startling that you've never it's never occurred to you is now going to be said to you in these next few weeks. But it does bring up to a level of consciousness those commitments and those prayed for concerns that are part of the life of this church central to the life of this church. So I hope that, uh, I hope many of us really get behind the, the prayer devotional aspect as we pray through these six areas and, and take them to heart and share among ourselves. And this be that one of the, you know, I teach in a divinity school. One of the things I continually encourage students to do is talk together about what we're talking about in class. I may be idealistic, but I think that medical doctors talk about medicine outside of the class. And I guess I'm I'm encouraging uh, pastors to be to discuss and talk theology, ministry, and mission. And so I'm hoping that Adventers really talk and pray and think about what this place is all about and our impact in Birmingham and the world. Just talked to a couple who've left their home in Boca Raton and are in a hotel across the street. Um, and uh, you realize, you know, it's such, we're geographically not that far away. And yet a whole state is going through a tremendous upheaval right now and uh, impacting 9 million plus and uh, the evacua- evacuations. So this is a bit unusual, but and this is a room in which your prayers can be heard. Um, 
One of the things that uh, we characteristically did in our church involvement at Central Press in New York City was the pastoral prayer time. The pastor would lead in prayer and then invite the congregation to pray. And uh, in an old stone uh, 300-seat sanctuary, you could hear one another pray. So short prayers, sentence prayers, would you lead us in the spirit in prayer over this storm impact on our country, you know, the whole Texas um, coastline and Louisiana, now now Florida and the whole state. What do Christians take away from this? How do we understand it theologically? I guess the driving point for me in thinking about this is that nature reminds us, the God who created nature, reminds us that we are so dependent and frail creatures that our lives can be turned upside down so easily. And we are pretty much in control of a lot of the things that we focus on in life. It's good to be reminded that we're not in control and, uh, and how much we need God. So if you would lead us in prayer for friends, for family, and pray them by, for, by name, um, let's pray together and I'll, I'll close. Lord God, please hear our prayers now we ask in the spirit this Lord's day. I pray for Bill and Julie Cassessa and the children in Florida. Your gracious hand be upon them. Amen. We pray, Lord, for the first responders and the families who are concerned about their safety. We do pray for their wisdom and their ability to think clearly for what's needed. Father, please be with Mom, Dad, Melanie, and David Joy. Amen. Dear God, I pray for Cody, for Faye, for Will, for Caroline, for Nancy, for Charles. Please be with them in Warehaven and Vera. May they be protected. Mm. And may uh, all live to prosper and serve you. God, I pray. Amen. 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 Father, I pray for Mark, Sandy, Jessica, Felipe. Hadley and Nixon and, uh, and all other people in Florida, pray for protection and your comfort. Mm-hmm. Amen. Lord, I pray for the doubters that they will not use catastrophes such as this to fuel their doubt, but to help mm-hmm. see the humanity that comes together because of these catastrophes. Amen. Amen. Pray for Anne and Janine and Chelsea and Allie and Mark and Chip and all their family and loved ones and also for the Telford family. Amen. I pray for Susanna and Mike, for Jonathan and his family and all those in the path of Amen. 
searching for a place to lay their heads and that they will be able to say that they can love. Amen. Lord God, you have heard and are hearing these prayers that we pray out loud and we pray within our spirit of family and friends uh, and the people of Florida and for just your, uh, your love and mercy to be seen in the lives of people as they do depend upon you and as they love others in your name. We pray for your help, for your blessing. Um, for these next few days, uh, remind us, Lord, of our need for you and of your power to redeem, uh, not only to save physically, but to redeem us entirely. Together we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. You might turn with me to Psalm 127. I know the bulletin said 139. Uh, that's my change. Uh, everybody got it right. Are you familiar at all with, uh, in New York, a, a recreation, uh, particularly for women, uh, called Soul Cycle? Um, it's, uh, it's something that's catching on. I, this, uh, a New York Times writer wrote about one of the sites on the east side. Uh, we spent a week in New York uh, preaching on the two weekends. And we walked by almost daily a soul cycle center. Um, and this is her description of it. Early on a summer morning in Manhattan, Upper East Side, dozens of mostly young Savelty women file into a candlelit studio where they mount gleaming stationary bikes. This is soul cycle, a sort of spinning self-help therapy session with dim lighting and primal dance beat. SoulCycle and its brand have tapped into the notion of exercise as food for your mind as well as your body. What's happening in these cycling classes involves spirituality, psychotherapy, and some self-help. We live in a society where we're moving fast away from believing in the invisible. And everything is material. Everything's temporal, everything's immediate, everything's hands-on. And the invisibles, those truths, the weird stuff of what the Christian faith believes, like the incarnation, the crucifixion is an atoning sacrifice for our sins, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reality that this temporal life will give way to an eternal life. These realities are just becoming so hard for a materialistic, temporal, physical culture to believe in. And I think that's what attracts me to the phrase soulcraft, to the name soulcraft. Um, because that which we give ourselves to physically skills and habits and aspects of life that really call forth a lot of attention and a lot of expertise from us, 
I would like Christians to begin to understand that how they grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, how they understand who God is, how they practice the disciplines of the Spirit, those are just as tangible. Those are just as real. Those need to be attended to as well. Now think for yourself, what do you do really well? What skill, what habit, what hobby, what vocation have you taken up that you really have committed yourself to? You're thinking? You're with me on this? What physical, tangible, uh, a musician, medical doctor, a golfer? Did you see the picture that's you know circulating on uh, Twitter? of one of the forest fires on the edge of Oregon and Washington, just an infernal blaze, and five guys playing golf. They're on the green and in the distance, and it is just a ferocious fire, and it's circulating now uh, on the internet as a kind of paradigm for our culture. You know, the life, it's burning and you're playing golf. Uh, and just the paradox of that scene. What have you given yourself to that is really important to you? Can, can I get some suggestions from you of what aspects of life you have really devoted to understanding well? Are there any people who cook here? Okay. Any people that give themselves to golf? Nobody's going to admit it? (laughs) How many of you know all the players on this year's University of Alabama team? Okay. I grew up in a home where my dad was a mathematician. But from June until September, he loved woodworking. He built a, an apartment on my grandparents' place. He built an uh, upstairs room for my brother and I. Uh, come June, and usually we smelled fresh wood on our, our, on our property. He just loved the smell of fresh wood. And it was at his, his avocation. He kind of taught himself carpentry and was really a pretty good craftsman. Uh, Larry Faree is the name that our family knows from Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, the pulpit in the church that I served in in Bloomington, Indiana was really poor. Every time you sort of stood there, it, it wobbled and, um, and it was really low. And, I, uh, and Larry, a carpenter, said to me, is there anything I can do for you? He probably wished he hadn't said it that way. I said, yeah, Larry, we could use a pulpit. And he crafted an oak pulpit that looked like it had been chiseled out. Uh, and it was just, it was a wonderful pulpit. Uh, in fact, uh, about a year ago, I contacted that church to see if they were still using the pulpit. and. Uh, they had given it away to a Methodist church, and now they had a plexiglass pulpit. But um, 
And, it, and they said, you know, oh, if we had known that you had wanted it, we would have certainly kept it for you because I would have shipped it from Bloomington to, to Birmingham. It was just a great pulpit. I have a lot of respect for craftsmen, people who have skills and who apply themselves. And I guess I'd like to carry over that analogy into soul craft, into prayer, into the word, into nurturing people in Christ. That that's just as real, you know, just as tangible, just as kind of, it's material in a different sense. And that's not just for pastors. Uh, I really believe in the priesthood of all believers. It's for everyone who is following the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and it takes skill. Um, what was the name of the movie of uh, Sullenberg and the landing on the Hudson? Scully? Sully. Sully. Um, how many of you have seen that movie? It's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie. Uh, from beginning to end, there's, uh, the, the, it's crafted with a sense of uh, really dramatic tension all the way through. Uh, N.T. Wright uses that as an illustration in his book, What Do We Do After We Believe? After belief, what? And he talks about the fact that the reason that plane could land safely was because the two pilots had devoted hours and hours and hours and hours to flight training in an emergency so that in those split seconds they could land it safely. And they had about three minutes to make all the decisions that were necessary in order to. And I think that kind of work, that kind of work is the kind of work that is needed in interpreting the Bible, understanding how to relate to people, a devotion to prayer and discipline. Those things are, and yet there, it's almost like an X that's over here that isn't attended to because there are so many other things that seem to distract from attending to the soul. Um, Psalm 127, would you look at it with me? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The measure of life is not found in human achievement, the psalm would tell us. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. It's not the measure of human effort that we give but it is the way that we partner with and work with the Lord who's building the house. 
The Apostle Paul likened himself to an expert builder. He laid the foundation for the church in Jesus Christ. And he wanted his apprentice Timothy to become a skilled craftsman as well. He challenged his understudy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God. What is that kind of work that Paul called Timothy to? What kind of work is that in our life? A verse that uh, helps me to understand our ministry is we proclaim him. It's Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present them mature in Christ Jesus. And to that end, Paul says, I give myself with all the energy that God has given to me. Now, I think that's... That's a mother and father verse. That's a sister and brother verse. That's not just a pastor verse. We proclaim him. Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. We say that as a body of Christ. We proclaim him. Every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we are reminding ourselves of a gospel ministry that you and I are called to. To minister to people, to minister to those who love us and care for us. So soulcraft is, as I say here, the art of discerning, applying, and enjoying the wisdom of God in every aspect of life. The art of discerning, applying, and enjoying the wisdom of God in every aspect of life. In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, where Paul is praying for the church at Philippi, he says, this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and wisdom and depth of insight, so that you would discern what is best, and be filled with the fruit of righteousness until the day of Christ Jesus. What's interesting about that verse, and it's a soulcraft verse from my standpoint, is uh, this is my prayer that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you would discern what is best. That's hard work. That's not easy. To be called to a a life of vocation, to relationships that require a discerning understanding of even what comes first, of setting priorities. Stephen Covey has an interesting illustration. I'm sure 90% of you have heard this before, but he takes a large glass jar and he puts in a pile of rocks. And then he asks people, is it filled? And sure enough, people say, yeah, it's all filled. And then he takes some pebbles and pours the pebbles in. And he says, is that filled? And yeah, it's filled. And then he takes water. Or no, he takes sand. And pours in the sand. And then he pours in water. 
And then he says, well, kind of like, what's the moral of this? And the moral that most people come up with is, we well, can always get more in. He said, no, that's not the message. The message is you got to put the big rocks in first. And that's really true in our life. Put the big rocks in first, and then sand and water can fit in. But we put a lot of sand in and a lot of pebbles in, and then the rocks. This is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you would discern what is best. Isn't that kind of a daily soulcraft prayer? So can we take the uh, the aspects of life that you and I kind of identify with, whether it's fashion or sports or um, you know a professional expertise or whatever, and can we use that as an analogy for how we ought to give ourselves to God in Christ? Just as kind of a working methodology. Uh, and the concern that we give toward other things, I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a church that has so many with it people. Really well-educated. You know, I tell people when I'm away from here that I can do anything in my classes and people understand me. I can use any word, I can use any context, you know, uh, right? <laughs> but I really can, I, I feel that. I feel like I'm understood. Easily. Uh, Can we take the expertise that we experience, that we have, carried over to a concern to understand God's word, a concern to pray, a concern to understand what it is to be humble before God? Now, craft, craft comes from the ancient idea of strength, of virtue, of authority. And it got carried over into craftsmanship, the idea that a person really... And it, it applies sort of a hands-on, doesn't it? A craftsman is not a paper pusher. It's not kind of a professional, just conceptual thinker. A craftsman is, is somebody who really knows the, the instrument, knows uh, how to function with the tools. Now, craft being strength, virtue, authority is really different from... Crafty, right? Crafty really sends you in a different direction entirely. But a craftsman is one who you you really think the work makes more sense to her or to him. uh, And really, their desire for it to be done well is greater than anybody who's going to observe it or participate in it or experience it. Does soulcraft pertain to and appeal to people who are insurance brokers or medical doctors or administrators? Can you see that your calling is just as significant in this area as my calling? It really is. 
It really is. And that's what I think the priesthood of believers means. Um, we have a, a Virginia and I have uh, an 80 year old friend who um, is in New York and she's a wonderfully vivacious. She's the one responsible for the hospitality after every worship service on Sunday morning. And she does it very graciously. Formerly a nurse, uh, a nurse in Lebanon for a period of time, uh, a wonderful woman. And I rem- just on this last visit, we were talking about Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And uh, Claudette said, how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen unless people really get into the Bible? Unless people really begin to understand how this works. And she's right. It's really not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The soul craft stuff is not going to happen unless you're really into the word. Unless you're praying, may my love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that I will discern what's best. That's a work. That's an effort. You know that the message of the Advent is never try harder. You know that? That really is never the message of the Advent. But we could be mistaken if we think then that, oh, salvation is assured. I'm reminded of this weekly. Great. Instead of a call to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that that call is empowered by, of course, the grace of God. So we, not just I, not just a pastoral team, we, you and I, proclaim him, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we might present them mature in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, goodness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. And let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly. That's a soul craft concern. Any comments or concerns? I have a comment on a metaphor. When we think of that metaphor, we think, as you're telling it, about the material things. And when we try to say that the, the big things are, are God, uh, we missed that point because we talked about several big rocks here. But the, the key being that material is the way most of us live in the Western world, is to fill our lives with material things and think we have a full life, and yet we don't accept God as part of our life. And that can happen to people on the cross, you know, like the thief. You know, the jar is empty until God, and the jar has room for God, no matter how full it is, with everything else. And this, it sounds, I'm going to say it even if it could be misconstrued, 
this uh, storm may actually remind people that they have only given themselves to a material existence. And with the material existence being so jeopardized, so vulnerable, maybe it will have the impact of reminding people of the big rocks. We'd hope and pray to that end. But then that's a sobering reflection to ourselves here as we sit here still with the material comforts as to how then do we respond. Um, How will we respond in generosity, I guess, to the many people who will be in need um, is also a, a huge factor. Materialism has that kind of encroaching dominance, doesn't it? And it takes over. So that's what we think about. That's what we give ourselves to. Any other comments? Thank you. Yes. As you were talking about soul craft and the verse that you used about discernment, it seems to me, because I'm a pianist and what we pianists do, they practice. Right. And in order to discern, we have to practice praying. We have to practice reading the gospel. Practice interpreting the gospel. Mm-hmm. Practice speaking to people about the gospel in order to discern. And that, to me, is the, the heart of soul. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, I, uh, and I would love to play the piano really well. Or at all. <laughs> I'd love to paint. I'd love to be a musician. Tons of practice. Tons of practice. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, so I, yeah, we sit down and think the Bible should be immediately relevant to us and, and come home to us with, you know, with excitement and uh, emotional movement right away. What if it takes hours of being in the Word? What if it takes a daily practice? What if it takes journalism, journaling? What if it takes asking questions and comments and writing those down? What if it takes dialogue with one another? I mean, I, I, yeah, your emphasis on practice is just, it's not going to be immediately right there. And, and the thing about it is, about practice, practice takes discipline. And essentially doing it every day. And that's one of the hardest things with our lives is because we become so busy that we don't recognize the fact that you have to almost withdraw from that busyness mm-hmm. in order to do the practice. Whether it be practicing the piano or practicing discernment, practicing prayer. And it's really hard. I agree with you completely. Virginia asked our oldest son, who's an English teacher in Seattle, he's a guitarist, in addition, um, and asked uh, how often he practices. And he said, I don't practice. But he plays all the time. You see, it's, it, it's no longer practice to him. It's just playing. And so he doesn't see himself as practicing, but he does see himself all the time. He's picking up the guitar all the time. He's just playing all the time. Yes. <laughs> it becomes, can you imagine, you know, really getting into the Word of God so much that 
it's no longer a sense of even a discipline, even though it certainly may have been for some time a discipline. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes in the Word of God. Begin with a sentence prayer, end with a sentence prayer. Fifteen minutes. I would bet that that's going to grow, but I would start there. Carve some time out uh, for that. And pray. I'm really encouraged that you all prayed and entered into that prayer time. Sometimes, uh, I think, Episcopalians, because they're so used to scripted prayers, that feel at a loss with spontaneous prayer. May we as a church love the scripted prayers that have been part of our praying heritage. May we also really develop spontaneous prayers, the freedom to pray for people by name, and that that too be part of our life. Any other comment? Craig? Yeah, while you were speaking in this conversation just now, um, I was reminded of a passage in Hebrews, and um, you know, at the end of Hebrews 5, he's speaking to their inventory. He says they become dull of hearing at the end of chapter 5. But then he goes on and he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice Hmm. to distinguish good from evil. Um, And then in chapter 6 he goes on and he says, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, and he goes on, so he makes the comparison. And, and, and here at the Advent, the rain falls on us constantly. I mean, through the preaching of the Word, right. the teaching of the Word. And that, I think that's the comparison there, this, this rain falling on the land, and it's meant to produce a crop. So that you may be fruitful until the day of Christ Jesus. The last uh, paragraph on your study sheet, which I have typically not looked at at all. Uh, This quote comes from N.T. Wright, and it is a response to his interpretation of the Hebrews 5 passage that Craig just uh, mentioned. Yeah, Um, but let me just read it because it's a sober reminder uh, to us. Um, In my own country, uh, England, I meet a settled prejudice, even among people who are highly intelligent in other areas, that's adventers, who work in demanding professions, who read serious newspapers and magazines, who would be ashamed not to know what was going on in the world, this prejudice against making any effort at all to learn what the Christian faith is about. As a result, we find both inside the churches and outside an extraordinary ignorance of who Jesus really was, what Christians have believed and should believe about God and the world. Some Christians are indeed eager and ready for solid food, but I deeply regret that. In many churches in Western Europe, at least, it seems that most people can be persuaded to take take on board is another small helping of warm milk. So, 
let's assume that there is a certain concern for us that we value the relationships that we're in, we value the church that we're a part of, we're, we value the mission that we're in, and that we give ourselves to a certain degree of soul crafting. Give ourselves to prayer, to the word, and to, I think, humility is the three skill set aspects of, of soul craft. I, I put on there one last thought. A man by the name of Jackson gave his son a book of like 500 sayings, um, Life's Little Instruction Book. The idea of complimenting a, a waiter, the, the idea of holding the door for a woman, the, just simple statements of courtesy and respect. Um, I hope that that's not the sum and substance of the kind of wisdom that we are giving to one another and to our children. But it is the substance of the word of God. It's the content of the faith. It's the big rocks that we are concerned to put in there. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks for this time. We pray for the church over this next month as we look carefully at our overall mission as a body of believers. May you strengthen and encourage us, teach us what it is to really follow you as Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we remember our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout Florida and through the Texas coast, and for the witness of your word in the midst of this really difficult and challenging time. We pray together. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.